members who have logged in to the virtual mini plenary session. There will now be an opportunity for silent prayer or meditation. Thank you very much. Honorable members, before we proceed, I would like to remind you that the virtual mini plenary is deemed to be in the precinct of parliament and constitute a meeting of the National Assembly for debating purposes only. In addition to the rules of visual sittings, the rules of the National Assembly, including the rules of debate, apply. Members enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in a sitting of the National Assembly. Members equally note that members should equally note that anything said in the virtual platform is deemed to have been said to the House and may be ruled upon. All members who have logged in shall be considered to be present and are requested to mute their microphones and only unmute when recognized to speak. This is because the mics are very sensitive and will pick up noise which might disturb the attention of other members. When recognized to speak, please unmute your microphone and connect your video. Members may make use of the icons on the bar at the bottom of their screens, which has an option that allows a member to put up his her hand to raise points of order. The Secretariat will assist in alerting the chairperson to members requesting to speak. When using the virtual system, members are urged to refrain or desist from un unnecessary points of order or interjections. Honorable members, we shall now proceed to the first order of this mini plenary session, which is a subject for discussion in the name of Honorable D.M. Stock on expanding the comprehensive social security system in order to not leave anyone behind. I now recognize the Honorable D.M. Stock from the visual platform. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable House Chairperson. Uh, today we debate a critical aspect which is enshrined in the Constitution and its Bill of Rights, a debate on expanding the comprehensive social security system to leave no one behind. Directly speaks, uh, Honorable Chairperson, to securing the socioeconomic rights for all South Africans. The democratic dividends for all South Africans can only be brought uh, through the realization of the promise and commitment of creating a united and prosperous South Africa. It is critical that we premise our debate uh, with a correct conceptual understanding of the comprehensive social security system. It is comprehensive because it responds to the multiple deprivations. The poor experience different deprivations from access to basic services uh, such as water and sanitation, uh, shelter, food, and lack of income. Uh, those are some of the issues that uh, 
the debate should be able to deliberate uh, around. The National Development Plan states that by 2030, South Africa should have a comprehensive uh, uh, system of social protection that includes social security grants, uh, mandatory retirement savings, risk benefits, and voluntary retirement savings. It emphasizes that part of our approach to social protection is through a social wage, which includes no fee schools, uh, free basic services, and subsidized uh, public transport. In addition to creating more jobs in the private sector, a significant broadening of government's public employment programs will also be able to help to ensure that fewer households live above uh, the poverty line. Addressing poverty requires a multiple uh, dimensional approach which the comprehensive social security system responds to. Since the democratic breakthrough, the ANC government has placed the social wage at the center of transforming the lives of ordinary South Africans without leaving no one behind. We have witnessed uh, an increase in social grants for the elderly and also broadened our social protection system to include people with disability, uh, child grants and foster care grants, which also brings about relief to the vulnerable people uh, throughout our country. This is a commitment of the ANC to ensure that we eradicate hunger in our nation. South Africa now pays grants uh, to more than 46% of the population. For the current year, government has allocated approximately about 44 billion for a 12-month extension of the 350, uh, 350 social relief for distress grant. Uh, the legacy of the apartheid uh, has entrenched inequality and poverty in our country. In the process of addressing inequality and unemployment through economic development and transformation, uh, our caring ANC government has ensured that the majority of the poor are protected and are being taken care of. As the ANC-led government, we have went further through the introduction of the social relief of distress grant, which has demonstrated to bring about much needed relief for the unemployed, particularly the youth who are not covered by the current grant payments. The grant has provided relief for those with food security challenges, uh, whilst for others it has enabled the unemployed to search for employment, whilst others have alleviated poverty in their households. We do not agree with the notion that we are building a welfare state which creates a dependency syndrome on the state. This notion is devoid of the facts and ignores the comprehensive nature of our social wage. The people of South Africa, black and white, pledged in the Freedom Charter that there shall be houses, security, and comfort. The major area which requires uh, enhancement in our comprehensive social security system is the integration of the provision of social services in a systematic manner, which will actually be able to enable a developmental transition of the poor to the mainstream economy. This can be done through an integrated system which has information sharing capabilities, which trace grant recipients into educational opportunities, employment opportunities, as well as other economic opportunities. Our social transformation seeks to ensure that the development of our people is anchored by the freedom to realize their potential and for, and for them to be able to be their own liberators. 
a critical policy debate which requires our parliament and social development portfolio committee in particular to grapple with is to answer the question of an introduction of the basic income grant the level of income inequality in our country contributes to the level of poverty asset poverty and landlessness for economic production are also part of the drivers of inequality in our country restoring the dignity of all south africans is an imperative of the ANC government in order to improve the way, their well-being through access to healthcare access to education skills development and the provision of a safety net these are the democratic gains we should continue to build on through expanding our system to cover for the unemployed between the ages of 18 and 59 we welcome the expansion of public works employment and other presidential employment stimulus opportunities which will support over 1 million unemployed south africans uh, it will also be able to abode well for the skills development and in creating economic opportunities particularly for our youth and our women in order to address the inequality we need all social partners working with government in enabling the redistribution of assets and income through transforming economic sectors and creating equal opportunities the creation of an inclusive economy is also at the heart of addressing the unequal economic patterns the african national congress remains committed to advancing social policies which provide a safety net for the poor and also to place all south africans in a developmental path i thank you honorable house chairperson thank you very much uh thank you honorable scott stock uh we now call the honorable ps masango thank you chair the democratic alliance is cautiously encouraged to see this very important matter being debated outside election season as has been the case many times before one wonders if the magnitude and depth of the needs of the very vulnerable in south african society have really resonated in these hallowed chambers of the otherwise uncaring anc government the fact that we debate this matter today exactly 22 years since it was mooted via a committee led by professor vivian taylor proves that the need has been in our midst and under our very noses for that long but this anc government has merely looked the other way hoping it would simply disappear or magically go away among the sections of our population the most neglected are those who desperately stand to benefit from a comprehensive social security system those who shoulder the heaviest burden and responsibility to provide for their families this however is the group who is subjected to the most barbaric carrot dangling strategies during election times primarily by the ANC ministers of social development the ANC presidents and at times even the ANC ministers of finance not because there were concrete plans to implement the expanded comprehensive social security system but because of the ANC's need to be heard to appreciate the struggles of millions of South Africa's poor 
In the year 2000, the ANC government appointed Professor Taylor's committee to investigate ways for the state to reform the social security system to provide comprehensive coverage for all. The committee called for the introduction of a range of measures, including a universal basic income grant of at least 100 rand a month. The Taylor Committee further noted that as a developing economy, coping with the structural legacies of apartheid, South Africa was unlikely to be able to create stable and meaningful employment opportunities for all economically active adults in the foreseeable future. 20 years later, we are in no better a position than we were. In fact, if we look at it empirically, we are substantially worse off in 2022. With levels of unemployment reaching crisis proportions due to gross corruption, mismanagement of the economy by the ANC government and the recent COVID-19 pandemic, sound bites regarding a basic income grant abound, yet no concrete, reasonable plans have come forward. This display of insensitivity to the plight of millions of South Africans is concerning at best and cruel and criminal at worst. Even those who receive social grants are subjected to random and annual increases that do not begin to match the exorbitant electricity, petrol, food and transport prices that are increased exponentially. Households have to make do with a measly 350 rand grant to put food on the table. The topic of today's debate partly says not leaving anyone behind. It is a misnomer. It is the policies of the ANC government that continue to leave millions of people or of poor people in South Africa behind, stuck in endless poverty with no hope for a brighter future. These policies exclude those who need the most to build a better life, but are instead exclusive and lack distributive capacity. The only, the only they only create opportunities for enriched self-enrichment for the ANC-aligned elite and well-connected. Those card-carrying cadres are the sole beneficiaries of these opportunities, while the impoverished majority languish outside the boundaries. Chairperson, the need for a comprehensive social security system in South Africa is not in dispute. How it is done is what should be of greater concern. According to a 2004 report of the Basic Income Grant Financing Reference Group, which was entitled Breaking the Poverty Trap, and I quote, nearly a decade after South Africa's historic transition to democracy, pervasive poverty and inequality pose the greatest threat to human dignity and social cohesion. This was in, in 2004, and the threat posed then has continued to play itself out in many protests by various sectors of our society. This is a stark reminder that the ANC government left a huge section of society behind a long time ago. Unfortunately, government does not have the luxury of time to ensure that it walks back to the people it has left behind. It has no realistic solutions to what remains a real threat 
to stability and cohesion in this country. It is curiously interesting to note from the same report of 2004 that quipped, and I quote, to date government has yet to announce a formal position on the basic income grant or indeed on any of the Taylor Committee recommendations. Instead, it has repeatedly deferred a decision at successive cabinet lehotlers. Given the situation we are confronted with today, it is no wonder this debate is not evoking the excitement and hope it should, as history might just be repeating itself to the detriment of so many that ought not and must not be left behind if stability and social cohesion is to be preserved in South Africa. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, Honorable Ansel Swai. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Restoring the dignity of the poor and the marginalized through the provision of basic services. Chairperson, we come from a very painful past where the majority of South Africans, Blacks in general, and African people were denied human rights in their country of birth. The oppressed majority fought against colonialism and apartheid to establish a society founded on the democratic values of social justice and other fundamental human rights to improve the quality of their lives and of all citizens, and to unleash their potential. The Nationalist Party and the Democratic Party has caused an unforgettable human destruction in our motherland. And we will never forget Honorable Sophia, the Democratic was founded within the constitutional principles contained in the Bill of Rights, democracy. Now is it now? Can I proceed, Chair? Yes, please do, but your line is bad. It's not audible. Slightly, you are, but uh, you keep on breaking. But you oh, may no. continue. Okay, move, thank you, Chair. Or move away from that place. Okay. The democratic South Africa was founded within the principles contained in the Bill of Rights. As a cornerstone of democracy, these rights are. You are now gone, Honorable Sushwai. Of human dignity, justice, mass respect, and. Am I gone? Let me move from this one and go to another. Um, Sit. Uh, patients, members. 
honorable members. Can I proceed? Am I better now? Yes, 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 please do. Okay. I was to say, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, the democratic state there of mass respect and promote, fulfill these rights as enshrined in the Constitution. In fact, Chair, it's proper to say where do they originate? The Freedom Charter Policy Statement of the NC articulates well a clear vision for our country by proclaiming equal rights for all who live in it. And I quote, these freedoms will fight for side by side throughout our lives until we've won our liberty. The social class therefore denotes the fundamental values of the freedom charter towards implementation of government and program. Chair, just to raise the issues, which are these rights that we believe are fundamental for our people that we protected by other institutions and by the state? The right of access to adequate housing, section 26 of the constitution. In the early 2000s, a community was evicted from a land which they had occupied under the then Wastenberg municipality, which is now known a Cryfontaine municipality. The community sought the relief from the courts and the Cape of Good Hope, and they found that the community were entitled to adequate shelter as enshrined in the section 21, 1C. And both national and province, provincial government and local government, they have to intervene to rescue communities and provide provide the necessary services. The case study, which was between government and Hortbom, shows that the government had an obligation to act positively in ameliorating the plight of hundreds of thousands of people living in deplorable conditions throughout, throughout uh, their living. Because trust with no certain terms that all rights in the Bill of Rights are interrelated and mutually supportive, and the state must ensure that those rights are progressively realized within the available resources. Typical example, Honorable uh, Chair, that uh, the Minister for Housing is addressing the issue of unblocking blocked projects, because those people that have got blocked projects they do not have adequate housing, and therefore government has got to see how best can we address the plight of these people. We should ensure that no one that deserves adequate housing is left behind. The second right chair is the right to, do, to human dignity. Everyone has an inherent dignity and the right to have their dignity respected and protected. Chair, Gender-based violence is a curse in our country, which needs to be addressed not tomorrow, but now and today. In 2001, for an example, security and justice and constitutional development were sued by a complainant who was attacked and abused by someone who was released by courts charged with attempted rape. The woman claimed that the two departments were negligent in releasing the accused, and that she had had her dignity violated. It is a duty of the state, therefore, 
to protect women from all sexual violence that they um, come across. The court considered the potential ability of both police and prosecutor for releasing a criminal with such activities and give bail that this could amount to wrongful conduct. How could the police and the courts release an accused who attempted rape without proper having measures in place to protect the complainant? The conduct by police and court officials constitute negligence and should be having consequences that they should receive. Now, because of negligence of some officials, the government is now liable for wrongful conduct. We must ensure that our police and courts protect those that are vulnerable and marginalized, in particular women and children. No one should be excluded from basic services. We salute government, the African National Congress, that this coming financial year has prioritized implementation of the National Strategic Plan of Gender-Based Violence and Femicide to further promote and empower women in our society. Three new pieces of legislation have been enacted and signed into law by President Ramaphosa to strengthen the criminal justice system and by putting in place measures to assist the survivors to gender-based violence and femicide. We commend- Honorable member. No one should be left behind. No one should be excluded. No one that should be erased from Allow me this opportunity to wish my Commander-in-Chief, my President Julius Silo Malema, a happy revolutionary birthday. You are loved by South Africa and Africa as a whole. I also wish to greet the officials of the EFF under the capable leadership of the President and Commander-in-Chief, who is appearing before the East London Court for a frivolous case by the Every Forum, a racist organization. We will not surrender the EFF to the racist because EFF is the only weapon in the hands of the poor. The EFF is the only organization fighting for the increase of social grants. We must increase social grants for older persons from 1,890 to 3,780 per month. We must increase social grants for people living with disabilities from 1,890 to 3,820 per month. We must increase social development for our war veterans from 1,890 to 3,820 per month. We must increase child support grants from 460 to 920 per month. And we must double all other social grants. We cannot talk about expanding the comprehensive social security system when the current system continues to subject many poor people to potential, potential uh, poverty. All 12 million beneficiaries in the SASA system must afford decent food and not be visited by hunger now and again, as it is the case today. To be hunger 
hungry is to live side by side with death. Black people will continue to be death-bound subjects unless we double the social grants. While we continue to fight for increase in social grants, social grants in themselves are not the solutions. Grants are supposed to be a means to an end. While we appreciate and acknowledge the big difference that social grants make in the lives of our people, it is not a solution. Our people want decent housing. Our people need food and security. Our people need to live closer to work, school, places of worship, and recreational facilities. We will not give our people a decent standard of living and pull them out of poverty through social grants. The only way to alleviate poverty is to be a country that produces what it consumes and to export anything that it produces, a surplus thereof. All SASA beneficiaries on social grants must be active members of the economy and must be able to earn a living to earn a living and not rely on social grants, except children, orphans, war veterans, and foster care families. There's a clear relationship between the productive economy and a growing economy, an economy that employs people and poverty. But we know that the ruling party does not have a practical or believable plan that combines social security and economic policy. Current South African social security system is merely a payment system. There is no longer a plan to lift people out of poverty. To simply add more unemployment and struggling people into the SASA database will not resolve our problem. While we continue to advocate for some forms of grants for all who are struggling, including unemployed, who spend a lot of money to look for work without any assistance. As the EFF, we maintain that a practical and sustainable solution is economic redistribution, economic growth, and industrialization of Africa as a whole. We should not trust the National Treasury that continues to cut grant budgets and come here every year to mock our people with 20 rand, 30 rand, and 90 rand increases. The sooner we remove the parasitic, incompetent, and corrupt ruling party from the power, the better. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Thank you very much. We now move to the next speaker from the IFP, the Honorable L. L. Fanel-Marion. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. I will leave my uh, video off. I've got connection issues. Honourable House Chairperson, our country is on its knees. Under the stewardship of the current government, South Africa has been crippled by corruption, unethical leadership, illegal migration, the disintegration of the rule of law and other ills. When the leaders of our country fought for freedom, they dreamed of just that. A country free of poverty, free of fear, free of despair and free of injustice. Sadly, 28 years after the dawn of our democracy, we are far from free. Our people are trapped in poverty. Almost half of South Africa's population counts on some type of grant alone as their only form of income. They walk the narrow road between hunger and starvation daily. Our youth have been relegated to the unemployment lines. They've been relegated to the 350 rand SASA payout lines 
while millions more are now discouraged job seekers. In the face of this devastation, Chairperson, the ruling party tables a debate on expanding the comprehensive social security system today. Yet despite what the Honourable Stock said, South Africa is already a welfare state. Where is the ruling party's much-needed solutions? Expanding the social welfare system is only a plaster on a gaping wound. How are we going to lift our people out of poverty and despair and restore their dignity? That is what we should be debating today, Chairperson. Let me state, as I've done before, that the IFP supports a basic income grant. Yet, it is very clear that government keeps dangling a carrot that they cannot afford. South Africa's current debt burden is at $4.35 trillion. South Africa's debt over the next year or two is projected to be $5.4 trillion. Debt servicing fees will be at $268 billion per annum alone. Thus, economic recovery and big might just be a distant dream. This week, a number of ministers were implicated in corruption in the third Zondo Commission report. If our ministers, alongside heartless criminals, didn't devour the money in our state coffers through corruption, there would be more than enough for a basic income grant. We need, as a matter of urgency, to recoup monies from all those, even our ministers, that stole from the state and, by extension, stole from the poor. Expanding the social welfare system, Chairperson, should first and foremost focus on the child support grant. With the ever-increasing cost of food, caregivers are often forced to skip meals because they cannot afford sufficient food. It is against this background that the IFP calls for an increase to the child support grant, which currently stands 480 rand a month, well below the food poverty line of 624 rand per person per month. Expanding the social welfare system should also come with strengthening SASA systems. For far too long, millions have been siphoned from SASA by criminals, both within and outside government. Let us remind ourselves to that today, to date, not a single government official has paid back a single cent stolen when they collected the 350 rand grant and other grants unlawfully. Finally, Chair, our immigration system has collapsed. Due to the failures of the Department of Home Affairs, far too many non-citizens have taken up employment without being legally permitted to do so. The IFP has proposed changes to the Employment Services Amendment Bill through a private member's bill, where we would like to see South Africans, especially young South Africans, prioritized in the low-skilled and unskilled market. We are happy that government has heard our pleas and that the Department of Labor is now piloting similar legislation, which looks to get South Africans to work. Let us change our thinking from that of a welfare state to a state that considers the welfare of its people and puts them first. Thank, Thank you, you Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Uh, Honorable Briet from the FF Plus. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, the continuation of the 350 Rand SRD grant will cost South Africa 44.4 billion Rand in the coming financial year. It means that in all spending on social grants for 2022-2023 will increase to an unprecedented 364,4 billion Rand. In other words, 3,9% of our GDP, or 48% of this coming year's budget, will be spent on social wages.
The Minister of Finance was very clear last week that the 350 Rand SRD grant will only be extended for the next 12 months. Even when taking that into account, it is still estimated that over the next three years, the social wage will take up 59,4, that's almost 60% of the government's entire non-interest spending. And then the Honourable Stock wants to expand the comprehensive social security system. To where? With what money? How? Where will we we get the money from? We currently have to borrow money to be able to afford our current needs. The question of today's discussion is in essence incorrect and is a testament to what is wrong with South Africa today and the the governance style of the ANC. The focus should not be on having more people dependent on social security, but less. The topic of today's discussion should have been what reforms are necessary to not leave anyone behind, but ensure self-sustainability. The Minister of Finance preaches pension reforms, but we should be careful when, as Parliament, we consider this. We do not want to create a situation where more and more geriatric people will be reliant on government in their old age because they spend their pension funds during these current tough times. This will create a vicious cycle. As is currently the case, our current old age grant recipients do not even receive the minimum wage and can therefore not even afford the most basic of needs. If they do not have children or family to support them, they are as good as dead. What will then happen to our parents and our grandparents if we do these pension reforms and minister breaches, if we allow this to happen? And to add to the gloom chair, It has recently been announced that the teacher retention rate in basic education is worsening. That means the student-teacher ratios will be greater in future, further meaning a greater percentage of unemployed teachers, but also a greater number of students not receiving the necessary attention in schools to ensure proper employment in future. This, of course, then means more people reliant on government. And, of course, you understand the rest of that cycle. The Honourable Stock and his comrades will most probably not see anything wrong with this because that would mean an increase in the welfare state, which they think is good. Chairperson, the focus should be that of education, empowerment, self-sustainability and a conducive environment for the private sector to create jobs. We should move away from thinking that welfare is the only option to our citizens' current devastating position. We should start thinking of prosperity, well-being and success. It is then and only then when we will realize what needs to happen, that our focus needs to shift, that laws need to be created to encourage job creation and entrepreneurship and not to stifle entrepreneurship, economic growth and excellent. I will conclude with the age-old saying, Give a man a fish and he eats for a day, but teach a man to fish and he eats every day. Chairperson, I thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. Uh, The Honourable Sukas, you are the next speaker. Thank you, Honourable Chair. I wish to state that the ACDP supports temporary relief for those in need. We cannot, however, make it a permanent state that enables individual agency and human development of the young, healthy, and able-bodied. It is important to refer back to the report of the high-level panel 
on the assessment of key legislation and the acceleration of fundamental change. One of the key recommendations refer to building human capabilities to enable economic participation, social cohesion, and an engaged citizenry. Government must not do what the individual and community can do for themselves. We have to, with urgency, attend to the barriers that exist for adults to enter skills programs and further learning. The continued delay in implementing the National Senior Certificate for Adults is one such a barrier. There is not one person in the House that does not agree on the need for an effective and holistic social security safety net for the vulnerable. However, we face the challenge of an untransformed, sluggish social development system. In addressing social security and the expansion thereof, there is a very important element that must be discussed, and it is the element of goodwill. Government should not and cannot go it alone in providing an effective plan to address the deepening crises of poverty and its devastating impact on the psyche of our people. Goodwill has been eroded and it led to the resistance and plain exhaustion of the taxpayer and serious social development partners. This is a challenge in creating a comprehensive social security system that is not only government dependent. The second challenge is the misuse of capacity programs aimed at upliftment. Patronage and the ever expanding supply chain network to repay votes and buy loyalty is a, is a bankrupt political strategy that abuse EPW programs and NPO funding from here in the Western Cape to Limpopo right nationwide, remove corruption and the perverse political strategies from funding and social development programs, transform the civil service. And this is a project that must be embarked upon before you talk expansion. A corrupt system will deepen the crises and exhaust um, the badly needed goodwill in order to create temporary um, safety nets for the poor and for those who need it the most. We have to break generational cycles of poverty by transforming the system. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Uh, we now go to Good, the Honorable Heron. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, the um, level of inequality is South Africa's greatest um, existential threat. It is not only unjust given the history from which our democratic country emerged, it is also wholly unsustainable. It has created a social tinderbox of deprivation and division. And last July, we witnessed the ease with which this box could be ignited. Dismantling the deeply entrenched divisions that keep South Africans apart must be our single overarching priority. The truth is that our economy is, is unable to generate enough jobs to reduce, let alone eliminate, unemployment. This leaves millions of South Africans without an access to an income. A combination of unemployment and poverty has led to increased and indescribable hardship, where poor families are starving and scavenging for food. The country cannot afford not to address these people's plight. South Africa has a well-established social assistance program of cash transfers, 
but the program excludes millions who are 18 to 59 years old, the assumed age of um, economic activity. Section 27 of our rights-based constitution guarantees every person the right to sufficient food, water, and social security. It is in this context that the debate about a basic income guarantee or grant must be understood. When an economy is unable to provide enough jobs for people to earn an income and take care of themselves financially, then the state has a duty to provide some social security. This is not a gift. It is not a handout. It is a right. The social relief grant that has been providing nearly 10, billion, uh, 10 million beneficiaries with some cash transfers um, has, is, is welcome. And we welcome the extension of it as a, as a first step. But we need to progress from here and provide a permanent safety net for those who need it. The question of the quantum of that safety net is continuously challenging. But the most recent, recent data published by Stats SA shows that the food poverty line is 624 rand per month per person. This is the amount of money a person needs to purchase the minimum daily food required to live. So the fastest way to achieve a comprehensive social security system is to start with a basic income grant at at least the, the food poverty line. Obviously, we must address affordability. But Chairperson, if you start from the premise that no adult can be expected to live without any income, then you stop asking how we can afford it and start asking how we can afford not to. We are not, we are not unaware of the, of the current financial constraints. It is a matter of prioritization. If the Minister of Finance follows through on the plan to introduce zero-based budgeting and identifying our absolute priorities, it will free up significant savings. The introduction of a basic income grant is the only way to directly uh, address uh, the growing epidemic of deprivation, hunger, and malnutrition. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, the Honourable Jacobs. Honourable Chairperson, in order to create a prosperous society with a sustainable and equitable economic development and to improve productivity for growth, the health of the citizens is the wealth of the nation. The aspirations of the 2030 Agenda are based on inclusiveness and ensuring that no person is left behind, which is in line with the theme of this debate. In the same breath, the vision for the health sector is to ensure a healthy nation for all South Africans. This further emphasizes the importance of achieving universal health coverage by ensuring that every South African has access to healthcare services, regardless of their socioeconomic status. At the essence of human development, there are three principles that are directly linked to human development. To lead a long and healthy life, knowledge and to have access to resources needed for a decent standard of living. South Africa has a comprehensive social security system which responds to the imperatives of human development. Over the democratic order, we have expanded basic services in both urban and rural areas, particularly for the marginalized. Health and economic development are interdependent, presenting an important opportunity through the
are aligned to the sustainable development goals and to the EU agenda 2063, and led to millions of South Africans having improved living conditions in a context where, for historical reasons, South Africa is amongst the most unequal of societies. But much progress has been made in critical areas such as the provision of clean water, electricity, sanitation, education, and health. Despite this progress, the poorest and most vulnerable people are left, left behind. This means that there remains a need for investing in the poorest and most marginalized towards universal recovery. In 2016, the World Health Assembly issued a groundbreaking resolution, together with a real political declaration on social determinants of health, which permit countries to build momentum within for the development of dedicated national action plans and strategies to deal with exclusion, inaccess, and social determinants of health in order to reduce health inequities. The WHA resolution recognizes the fragmentation and offer new resource public health system. It underscores urgent reforms of structural health inequity that leaves many people behind. It underscores the African Charter on Human and People's Rights. The Declaration of Alma and the World Health Organization's Constitution, all of which call for governments to take full responsibility for the health of their people. Honorable Chairperson, the universal health coverage then becomes of paramount importance. It seeks to provide a preventive health scheme which uh, shall be run by the state, provision of free medical care and hospitalization for all with special care for mothers and young children. And this is what guides the ANC on the realization of the national health insurance. It is in this context that South Africa is currently in the process of reforming its health system through the NHI to achieve the following outcomes. An improved access to quality health services for all South Africans, irrespective of whether they are employed or not, Food risk and funds so that equity and social solidarity is achieved through the creation of a single fund, procured services on behalf of the entire population and efficiently mobilized and controlled with financial resources, improved health system performance, and for everyone to experience universal health coverage. South Africa has endeavored to align the implementation of the sustainable development goals with the domestic developmental agenda and policy. Therefore, good health is essential to sustainable development and the 2030 agenda reflects the complexity and interconnectedness of the two. It takes into account widening economic and social inequalities, rapid urbanization, threats to the climate and the environment, the continuing burden of HIV and other infectious diseases, and emerging challenges such as COVID-19 and non-communicable South Africa has made great progress in improving health outcomes, for example, increasing the life expectancy of South Africans, such as decreasing the leading causes of death and disease burden, reducing maternal mortality rate, under five mortality rate, neonatal mortality rate, and infant mortality rate, and decreasing new HIV infections and incidence of tuberculosis and but work still needs to be done to realize a number of targets under those three, which is uh, of the uh, SDGs. In conclusion, Chairperson, research has shown that achieving the SDG targets depend on 
collaboration between stakeholders from government, the private sector, civil society, academic and research institutions, and international agencies. Working together with all stakeholders and partners, we can ensure that the gains of Africa has already made are sustained and that the progress made before the pandemic is not rolled back. Our healthcare system has demonstrated its capacity to be resilient through the coronavirus pandemic, which is security and health risk to the nation. Finally, Chairperson, we implore all people of not being vaccinated to please prevent themselves for vaccination. Remember that vaccination saves lives. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. Uh, we now go to the Honorable Hendricks. Also, Mark, I congratulate the Honorable uh, uh, Marie on her revolutionary maiden speech on the birthday of her Commander-in-Chief. Happy birthday, Honorable Julius Malema. In his first show, the address President Ramaphosa announced that every family will get a warm plate of food and no one will be left out. After his third show, this has been done. Congratulations, President Ramaphosa. Well done. President Ramaphosa, to expand the social security system, launch the EPWP, matriculants helping out the schools, home affairs, uh, 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 using graduates to do scanning. These are not decent jobs, but expanding the social security system. To expand the social security system, President Ramaphosa must get call center jobs in our 10,000 villages. The first step is to get successful bidders for the spectrum to provide free data to the villages and to the Department of Communication to launch a satellite for satellite internet uh, where the towers cannot reach. The bidders who have a satellite must be given preference in allocating spectrum. Village children can work as call center agents from home to expand the social security system uh, by this employment scheme so no one is left out. No one must be left out to earn a living, even just to put a loaf of bread on the table. Mapami village, where I also live, is ready for a call center poverty alleviation scheme. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Hendricks. Mm. Or oh, the Honorable Sheikh Imam. Thank you, House Chairperson. Thank you, House Chairperson. Uh, I must agree with uh, Dr. Jacobson. In fact, a lot of progress has been made in the last 27 or 28 years in the country. But at the same time, Honorable House Chairperson, we must admit that with 46% of South Africans on some form of social assistance, we cannot expect not to leave anyone behind. When there's 34.9% unemployed and a more accurate figure is about 42% unemployed, we cannot expect not to leave anyone behind. When 70% of our youth in this country are unemployed, we cannot expect not to leave anyone behind. When 7 million people go hungry to bed, Honorable Chairperson, we cannot expect anyone to be left behind. What South Africans are not looking for is a handout. What South Africans are looking for is an opportunity to be part of an inclusive economy. What South Africans are looking for is an, a, a position to be able to find themselves suitable jobs so that they will not depend on hand our handouts from the state. 
Now I've heard people talking about wanting to increase grants and things to a, a ridiculous amount of money. The question is, should we not be concentrating how we must reduce the number of people in this country dependent on social assistance and make the rest of them, particularly the younger generation, more productive? That is basically what we should be concentrating on. Now, Chairperson, 79 cents is estimated, and this is an old estimation. Out of every rand in this country spent on debt service costs and public sector wage work, which means 21 cents is spent. And of that 21 cents, 11 cents is on corruption and looting, means we're spending 10 cents in this country on delivering services to the people on the ground. How are you going to have a more inclusive government? economy if you're going to spend only 10 cents out of every rand on improving the quality of life of the people. Now, the question is, is it sustainable to have 46% of the people on some form of socialism? Is it my time? No, 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 no. You can continue, oh. Honorable Imam. Somebody okay. was disturbing us. Okay. Thank you, Chairperson. Right. Now, Chairperson, you know, I've been doing some homework, particularly in some of the major chain stores in this Jefferson. I'd love you to go on these chain stores, particularly from the 20th of the month. And if you look at the exorbitant increases in the price of goods and every supermarket you go to, and I name the whole lot of them, you will find the prices are exactly the same with 10 items on special. Now, with food prices rising, with the fuel prices rising, and remember, many of our people, like the previous listeners, have, uh, speakers have said, rely on public transport to get to work. So if a great percentage much. of that is gone on transport, what have they got to live on? Thank you very much, Chairperson. So I ran out of time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the Honorable N. Tim Katra. Um, afternoon, House Chair. Um, may I just please kindly have an indication whether or not the ANC has any remaining minutes from our previous speakers? I, I, I will check. So they, they'll inform me. But for now, up to up to so far, I I I I, I, I don't. I'm not very sure. Okay. I'm Thank you sure very much. Is, but uh, the staff will indicate that. Thank you very much, um, Honourable House Chair and members. And most importantly, fellow South Africans, San Bonang, we gather this afternoon to debate the motion on the expansion of a comprehensive social security system and ensuring that no single South African is left behind. We debate this motion in the month that this young democracy of ours commemorates its Human Rights Day on the 21st of March. I find it rather symbolic as at the core of social security systems is the protection of citizens' human rights by acknowledging the need to uphold the dignity of citizens, considering the socioeconomic and political disparities and inequities that confront them. Looking at the context of South Africa in particular, our comprehensive social security system exists with an appreciation of the need to address the structural inequities deeply rooted in the apartheid regime, total disregard for the basic human rights of black people in this country. The background paper on social protection issued by the presidency reminds us that government social protection framework is built on the principle of comprehensiveness and thus income support, social services, social insurance, and the provision of free basic services to vulnerable households constitute government's holistic approach to addressing poverty. The right to social security must be appreciated within a broader context of government's 
of government striving to alleviate immediate vulnerabilities, however, with the medium to long-term goal for the realization of self-sufficient citizens. Honorable members, and I'd like Honorable Briet and a number of other members who spoke earlier to listen attentively to what I'm about to say. In advancing a comprehensive social security system, we must appreciate, as alluded to in the NDP, the importance of access to education in empowering citizens to be active participants of the economy. The Bill of Rights of South Africa states that the rights to education, education, which the African National Congress has resolved, remains an apex priority of government's pro poor policies and a central pillar of our fight against the triple challenge of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. The ANC further notes that failure to accelerate inclusive access to education and training directly threatens the achievement of this key objective. Honorable members, key elements of our comprehensive social security system must include free education for those who cannot afford, which it does, as education is one of the cornerstones of development. The acquisition of skills and knowledge through education enhances citizens' capabilities in advancing equality, poverty reduction, and economic growth, thus breaking the chain of poverty across generations. Inclusive access to education can be realized through fee-free education in this country, fee waivers in this country, scholarships, block grants, supported by uh, nutrition feeding schemes, uh, scholars transport, free textbooks and educational resources, student allowances, stipends, to mention but a few. Appreciating that education as part of a comprehensive social security system is an investment to the country's developmental state agenda, South Africa has allocated in this year alone a significant budget of 441.5 billion towards learning and culture. In the basic education sector, government has attempted to create safety nets through free education, fee waivers, feeding schemes, scholar transport, free textbooks, and learning materials to mention but a few. A comprehensive social security system appreciates the school nutrition program in the fact that it, it assists in ensuring the nutrition of children, but also um, increases school attendance. This is supported by a budget allocation of 26.7 billion over the medium term for 19,950 schools. Over the medium term, 6.7 billion is allocated to infrastructure grant. In higher education, in the higher education sector, government has attempted to create safety nets through the state-funded interventions, such as the National Research Foundation, Funza Lushaga Bursary Scheme, and the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, to mention but a few. An estimate of 4.1 billion has been allocated to Funza Lushaga with the aim of providing more than 36,000 bursaries over the medium term. 143.3 billion has been allocated to NASPAS over the medium term, benefiting an estimate of 2.5 million um, students over the next three years. So contrary to the notion that the government recklessly aims to create state-dependent citizens, these safety nets within the broader education system aim to empower citizens with skills and knowledge to participate in the alleviation of deeply rooted social collisions, such as widespread poverty, significant levels of income disparity, vulnerability, and exposure to risk. However, this is not expressed loosely without an appreciation of a high unemployment rate, including the high graduate unemployment rates in this country. The Green Paper on Com Comprehensive Social Security and Retirement Reform in 2021 articulates that unemployed adults aged 18 to 59 account for about a quarter of those living in poverty. And it further states that social assistance does not currently address the need for those who are unemployed without any means of support. 
The paper recommends active labor market interventions with allowances linked to skills development and the expanded public works program, further education and training, and youth unemployment programs. The biggest challenge we have is that whilst the state attempts to address systemic inequities through the provision of skills and knowledge, the economy is not receptive to the increasing numbers of skilled and knowledgeable citizens. This is concerning as it may exacerbate income and opportunity inequalities increase poverty and possibly lead to the false idea that there's no value add on education investments. This is where we must act as charged by President Silva Maposa on ensuring that industry plays its part in job creation whilst the state coordinates plans and guides the development of the economy. This must be supported by a continuous audit of the skills need of the country's economy and complement thereof in the curricula of both basic and higher education. This must be appreciated with an understanding that modern social security systems must be designed to support job creation by eliminating measures that discourage labor market participation and establishing mechanisms that promote social um, integration. Honorable members, President Sil Ramaphosa reminded us in the State of the Nation address and in his response to the debate thereof that we ought to leave no one behind. That is why it is important for us to see the progressive expansion of our comprehensive social security system that re responds to society's varying levels of risk. We must also state that in order for citizens to feel that they are not left behind, we must ensure that safety nets are easily accessible and that there are measures put in place for them not to be abused. We must, through modern technology, strengthen the master social security registry and build on the consolidated social security public interface. That is why we welcome the collaboration between SARS, SASA, and NASFAS to ensure that a student coming out of basic education who is a SASA beneficiary does not have to be subjected to the dignity stripping exercise of perpetually having to prove their indigence, but rather the NASFAS system will automatically identify the application and grant them a real-time offer. In leaving no one behind, we must commit ourselves to improving access, coverage, administrative efficiency, delivery, and transparency in the expansion of a, of a comprehensive social security system. Honorable members on the DA, uh, Honorable Masango, you say you want, you are cautiously encouraged. I want to implore on you to decide whether or not you're coming or going, because I think the president, honorable members, and listening to many members that are contradicting themselves as well as colleagues from, uh, um, you know, uh, um, uh, honorable Van der Merva, you speak um, about, uh, you know, it being a plaster, but at the same time, you're advocating for these grants and you're also advocating for an increase in funding allocation. Um, you know, even Honorable Brett, members are seemingly coming up, they're not, like you're coming up going, I don't know what's going on there. But what I need to say to you is that we must be reminded by the President Sona when he says there are moments in the life of a nation when all certainties are unsettled and new possibilities emerge. President says in these moments, there's both the prospect of great progress and the risk of reversal. Let members be reminded that the path we choose now will determine the cause for future generations. I want to appreciate the, the healthy um, engagements that Honorable um, Heron from Good um, has articulated. I mean, he clearly states that social securities are not a gift. They are rights. Therefore, anyone who seeks to undermine the importance of social securities and wants to loosely allude to them as us, as, as, as the ANC government um, creating a welfare state, in fact, speaks from a point of, of class privilege. Honorable member. Understand the importance of these social security systems. So we really hope that um, colleagues will in future engage more healthily in these debates. I thank you, House Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable oh, Member. What a week. Uh, the Honorable A.L. 
Adams. Yeah. No, no. I'm sorry. Honorable A.L. Abrahams. I'm sorry. Yes, Thank you. Can you. Go ahead, Thank Dana. you, person. This topic of debate is something of deja vu. It's a topic debated in this parliament before. With consensus, the social security system must be all inclusive. The reality for those who live in situations of excruciating poverty and deprivation is that the values and rights enshrined in the Bill of Rights and Constitution, such as freedom, equality, and human dignity, have not yet been fully realized under the ANC. Far too many destitute South Africans are still excluded from receiving grants, government services, and unable to fully participate in the country's economy and society despite 28 years of democracy. Millions of South Africans are already left behind, such as our vulnerable children, not yet old enough to vote, invisible to the ANC. 17.5%, over 1.8 million, million eligible children, cannot access the child support grant. One in four children, 27%, under the age of five, is stunted. It's been like this since 1999. What of these children left behind or while the ANC donates 50 million to Cuba? An estimated 3.4 million children aged 0 to 6 years cannot access an ECD program. They too are left behind by the Department of Social Development, with little hope basic education will see much improvement. Not to mention DSD's inability to pay the 496 million ECD Presidential Stimulus Relief Fund announced two years ago. 351 million already rolled over from last year hangs in the balance as we draw to the end of yet another financial year. The Social Assistance Act was amended two years ago, and I was relieved to hear the Finance Minister make mention of the child support top-up in his budget speech. However, if the measly increases to grants is anything to measure by, the value of the top-up may not serve its desired purpose. Perhaps cab Cabinet should take a stroll down a baby toiletry aisle or the stationery and school uniform section to get a realistic idea of the cost of raising a child in South Africa today. The DA maintains its position that the child support grant must be in line with the food poverty line. The ANC at the wheel for 28 years have left government institutions incapable of delivering an all-inclusive, all-access social security system, with the ANC themselves the primary obstacle. Government is fragmented in the delivery of the basket of services to the destitute. Before one can access a SASA grant, tertiary education or employment, a birth certificate or ID is required, a known failure of home affairs. The bankrupt South African Postal Services further burdens the poor with increased travelling expenses to the next service point as more offices close. We speak of a social security floor chairperson, but the only floor many know is the concrete payment outside of SASA. The absence of a central information management system, a one-stop shop, sends South Africans into a maze of non-delivery, leaving people behind. Social security cannot be looked at in isolation and requires a whole of government and society approach. In times of crisis, South Africans open their hearts and donate generously. NGOs in particular are on the front line, shouldering the burden of government service delivery failures, yet are first on the chopping block when it comes to budget allocations. 
The 2021 Social Security Peer Review shows that Africa is rich in civil society partners who should play the dominant role in shaping the policy space for social security. And I just hope Minister Zulu takes the recommendations to heart and it was not just another APP tick box exercise. South Africa is a signatory to a range of international treaties, declarations, conventions on issues of security and poverty alleviation. The ANC's own NDP has a vision for a comprehensive social security floor by 2030. But without a concrete implementation plan, South Africa will continue to languish in poverty with non-delivery the only certainty. The social contract the president spoke about in his own address can only be built on a foundation of trust. The ANC has time and time again broken this trust. Therefore, the only way to honestly leave no one behind is through a new government in 2024. The Democratic Alliance once again invites all to read our offer and solution to addressing inequality in our economic justice policy, a sustainable development goal model, a plan for South Africa to beat the past and build the future. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Abrams. Uh, before I let the Honorable stop, close the debate, I'd like to check with Cole whether they want to go for it. I'm told that the Honorable... Matthew yes, said, yes, Honorable Chair. Okay. Yes. Uh, let me just make up uh, for, your, for your... Let me check your time. Okay, Honorable Matisha. Yeah, thank you, Chair. We need a comprehensive social security system that has the capacity to create a set of benefits that are guaranteed for larger sections of vulnerable South Africans. I here refer to millions of the poor and the unemployed. I must remind you that South Africa is considered to be number one in the whole world when it comes to unemployment. And yet only 1% of South Africans owns 41% of our country's wealth. The presently proposed social security system lacks one a coherent inclusive platform for a restructuring system that involves especially millions of vulnerable south africans it lacks an inclusive and comprehensive system which is long overdue it lacks a clear vision of how a government will counter what already overflows in the department, namely maladministration, corruption, loss of public confidence, individual greed, and many more challenges. It is more interdepartmental and multi-tiered. It lacks the capacity to create sets of benefits that are guaranteed for larger sections of the vulnerable South Africans. I must emphasize, Chair, that the issue of joblessness that you have cited goes very far beyond what uh, was purported and something must be done. The majority of people who are given uh, jobs are non-South Africans because those who employ them can exploit them very easily. The employers don't follow the Labor Relations Act and all those particular uh, laws uh, that are supposed to be followed. One supports the objective of implementing the child support grant and the basic 
uh, income grants. Uh, it is a fact that in the milieu in which we exist, South Africans will continue to die unless those two grants are implemented. But the question that we must ask is when will this be done? When will this be done, uh, Honorable Chairperson? Uh, because our people are swimming in the in a very a serious sea of poverty and death. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Matisha. Uh, Honorable Stock. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable House Chairperson. Uh, we have heard from the different debaters of this important motion of expanding the comprehensive social security system. Uh, we all agree that we need to improve and transform the conditions of the majority who have been marginalized by colonialism and the apartheid system, which ensured that it deprived the blacks and, uh, and Africans in particular. All these deprivations are the legacy of apartheid which should address which should be addressed by the ANC democratic government to equalize uh, the inequalities that we found throughout our country. The African National Congress from the Reconstruction and Development Program uh, to the National Development Plan has placed uh, the provision of social services and expansion of a comprehensive social security uh, uh, at the high level, which is very consistent. As the African National Congress, we have made an imprint in the fiber of the nation to entrench Ubuntu uh, by being a caring government. Government has worked with all the social partners from business, labor, civil society organizations, the traditional leaders, and the people of South Africa in general to build a society which guarantees the well-being and social protection of all its people. Honorable members, Honorable uh, House Chairperson, Dr. Kenny Jacobs has actually clearly outlined the efforts of government in ensuring access to healthcare for all South Africans and also a national health insurance for all South Africans. This is going to guarantee access to quality health care and various specialization for the poor, which would be driven uh, by, which would actually be market driven. This is a progressive policy of the ANC, which the ANC has committed itself to realize uh, in the near future. Honorable Mukachwa has also outlined the interventions in education and skills development to improve the nation's human capabilities in order to build a developmental state an inclusive uh, society. We must never tell uh, untruths to the people of South Africa and claim that nothing has not been done to change the living conditions of the poor. We can also not claim that all the challenges affecting our people have been resolved. But what is a fact and a lived reality for many South Africans is that we have changed a lot of systemic, social, and economic barriers which reproduced poverty throughout our people. Our program of social transformation for self-liberation is indeed on course. We need to ensure that we radically transform the economy of the country in order to build an inclusive economy which will address the racial nature of distribution of assets and income. Social economic transformation is imperative to guarantee the socioeconomic rights of all South Africans. Economic growth should be redistributive through growth of labor-intensive industries and high productive sectors. Government has expanded its social wage and the private sector working with government and labor 
to increase job opportunities and reinvest in the economy for economic growth to increase our tax revenue for, to further expand the social protection. The President of South Africa, Honorable uh, His Excellency President Ramaphosa, has called on all social partners to engage on a basic income grant. Uh, Honorable Masambo from the DA uh, does not tell the people of South Africa that the ANC government has ensured that nearly half of the population currently receives at least one social grant from the state implementing imperatives in the Taylor report which was commissioned by the ANC government. The household income of the poor is secured through our comprehensive social security system. This honorable uh, honorable member from the EFF who has done, who has actually participated in debate to a, a maiden speech, uh, actually also made contributions, uh, but because it's a maiden speech, I will actually not be responding to what she has actually said in the debate. Uh, we'll be able to attend to those issues in the next debate. Honorable Briet from the DA, uh, our comprehensive social security is anchored by education and expanding skills development. And it is not limited to grants. Ours is empowering the poor for self-liberation. We have largely agreed in this debate that we need to provide a safety net through a basic income grant for the poor, except for the Freedom, uh, Freedom Front Plus for obvious reasons, of course. As a legislative arm of the state, we need to continue engagement and mobilize social partners in forging a path for a basic income grant to, trans to transition grant recipients into the labor market in education and also skills development opportunities. We should also play our oversight function to ensure that government programs uh, achieve the outcomes because the fiscal allocation by government can bring about change and also leave no one behind. Honorable House Chairperson, let me thank all the members who has actually participated in the debate, who has actually made positive contributions in the debate. Unfortunately, to those who came to the debate uh, to play politics and to just flag their party line, I've got nothing to say to them, uh, but I just hope that they will change. And next time, when issues of this magnitude, the issues that are before us, which are very important, uh, they must be able to put their party line aside and be able to deal with the issue at hand. Thank you very much for all those who have made the contributions. Uh, and I thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you. Long live, long live. Uh, thank you, Honorable Stock. That concludes the debate, Honorable Members. We shall now proceed to the second order of this mini plenary session, which is a subject for discussion in the name of Honorable KJ Mylham on this on the negative impact of the rising costs of electricity and other forms of energy on the republic i now recognize the honorable k Milam from the visual platform chairperson south africa and her people are suffering it's not just the days and weeks without electricity that affect us, but also the spiraling costs. We are expected to pay and pay and pay and pay for an entity that can only keep the lights on and its generation plants running 59% of the time, according to the latest ESCOM system status report. 
ESCOM's tariff has increased by 9.61% over last year's tariff. And while that was significantly lower than the 20.5% ESCOM had requested, it is still more than double the country's official inflation rate. It was only through the sustained efforts of the DA, the various municipalities where we govern, and civil society organizations that NURSA heard the call to limit ESCOM's increase. And yet, given that ESCOM and NURSA are once again in court, arguing over the tariff determination methodology, we await the court's judgment to hear whether a further 59 billion rand will have to be recovered. If so, consumers and businesses will once again be expected to foot the bill for ANC mismanagement, incompetence and corruption over many years. One only has to look at the mess that are the Madupi and Kusile coal plants to see what happens when comrades and cadres are permitted to loot freely. Let us not forget that much of our electricity pricing issues arise from ESCOM debt, debt incurred to build these two power plants and facilitated by the likes of Chancellor House and Hitachi Power Systems for the benefit of the corrupt and thieving African National Congress. And it was done on the watch of one Samson Gwede Mantashe, our esteemed Minister of Energy, who at the time was Secretary General of the ANC and intimately familiar with the dealings of Chancellor House. These two mega plants, which were supposed to end load shedding, have an energy availability factor of just 63.3% at Madupi and a shocking 24.5% at Kusile, according to the most recent data available. Chairperson, the price of 95 octane petrol has increased by 44% since January last year. In the same period, diesel has increased by 13% and illuminating paraffin by 20%. At the time that the basic fuel pricing model was introduced in 2003, South Africa was a net exporter of refined petroleum products. Over the past two decades, however, that situation has changed dramatically, and the country is now a net importer. And given the recent closure of four of South Africa's refineries in the past two years, the situation has only worsened. As a result, the basic fuel price model is no longer the appropriate methodology to determine the price of liquid fuels. It is absolutely unacceptable that a full third of the price we pay for petrol goes into government coffers, not to secure our energy future, but rather to pay for general government expenses. This is not a caring government. It is a government that is robbing consumers to pay for its own flagrant excesses, wastefulnesses, wastefulness and corruption. Where's the robot? Sorry, Chair. Honorable member. Honorable member, please don't do that. Don't do what, Chair? No, there's a person who just disturbed us. Could you please go on, Honorable Mailer? Thank you, Chair. In this regard, we are pleased that Minister Mantashe has heeded our request to comprehen comprehensively review both the pricing of liquid fuels and electricity. We welcome his acknowledgement on Tuesday that high energy prices are perpetuating energy poverty and that the formula used by NURSA to determine the price of electricity is, to quote the minister, backward. Yesterday on Radio 702, Dr. Dale McKinley, a noted political economist, said, and he was speaking of the war of Russian aggression in Ukraine, and I quote, it's not just at the fuel pump that we are going to feel this immediately. There is a huge range of knock-on effects. It goes across the board and it hits the consumer very hard. It seems we are very far away from this political war in Europe. Economically, it's a global issue. And particularly for South Africa, it's going to hit us very hard 
and it's going to hit most obviously those who are least able to afford it, end quote. The reality is that we have not yet begun to see the impact of the despicable Russian, Russian invasion in Ukraine in fuel pricing. That will only really impact on next month's prices. And one aspect that has not even been considered is the impact that this will have on electricity pricing. Remember that we use diesel to fuel ESCOM's peaking plants, many of which run at uh, almost 24-7 at great expense to keep the lights on and minimize load shedding. In fact, Chairperson, if we were to allow more competition, ease the difficulty of doing business, and reduce the heavy-handedness of government price setting, we would undoubtedly be in a far better position economically. Instead, government takes its cut on every liter of fuel and kilowatt of electricity, and as a result, businesses are closing their doors, citizens are becoming unemployed, and more South Africans are seeking greener pastures. This government has a lot to answer for. The rotating door of energy ministers has done little to resolve the crisis, whether of generation capacity or electricity and fuel pricing, because the ministry is captured by the same disease that affects everything the ANC touches, a complete lack of accountability and willingness to accept the consequences of their action. Nearly every entity in the Department of Energy is in the red. The Auditor General has repeatedly highlighted supply chain management issues and irregular expenditure. The department and its entities failed to meet the most basic of key performance indicators, and yet somehow life goes on and no one is held responsible. In the meantime, it is ordinary South Africans who continue to suffer. And so we get to the nub of the matter. What is to be done? We need to address the affordability of refined fuels and electricity in a manner that ensures meaningful systemic change and does not merely pay lip service to resolving this issue. When the prices of fuel and electricity increase, every other product and service becomes more expensive as a result of the knock-on effect. Ordinary South Africans struggle to satisfy their daily needs, whether that's transport, heating, cooking, lighting, manufacturing, or countless other activities. The cost of living in South Africa has become unaffordable, primarily because of above inflation increases to fuel and electricity prices. Costs which are, if not totally in the control of government, certainly far more susceptible to government manipulation and, man and management than in a deregulated economy. The Democratic Alliance has been clear and unequivocal in its call on national government. Unbundle ESCOM and create a truly independent grid operator. Open that grid up to competition and remove the cap on renewable energy generation in the integrated resource plan. Make it easier through a concerted red tape reduction program for municipalities, businesses, and consumers to either generate their own electricity or to procure directly from independent power producers. Incentivize the importation and local production of electric vehicles to reduce the reliance on refined fuels. Deregulate the fuel sector and allow the free market to determine pricing. And more specifically, get rid of the unaffordable taxes and levies that government use to cover their incompetence and corruption. Abandon all plans to purchase SAPREF or other refining capacity. Government has proven over and over again that it cannot run businesses effectively and a massive investment would be required to bring this plant up to the proposed clean fuel standards. Chairperson, South Africa cannot afford to wait for another government talk shop in DABA or task team to address the crisis of affordability it now faces. If Minister Mantashe is not up to the task of addressing the problems in our energy sector, he must go. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Member. Uh, Honourable Member. Order, Chair. What is the point of order, Honourable Member?
Uh, sorry, uh, you already finished. You're, you're, it's already off the floor. I wanted okay, to clarify you. this matter, Honorable Chair, yeah. that okay. the um, the I price have, of petrol. I, I, Honorable, I not, Honorable Member, I have not given you opportunity. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable members, may I make you aware that as I call the Honorable Magatla to the platform, uh, Honorable, Honorable Minor Lesuma will be taking over. Are you ready, Honorable Chair Minor? Yes, Honorable Chair, House Chair Intendant. Okay, Honorable Magatla, go for it. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Honorable House Chair. The country's electricity demand has grown since 1994. As the ANC government systematically supplied electricity to communities who were historically deprived of basic services under apartheid. This means that the majority of the population suffered from energy poverty, which deprived people of a dignified, modern, and civilized standard of living. The ANC government sought to transform the lives of the majority by providing basic housing, water, and electricity. This supply of basic services also extended itself to indigent and poor household receiving free electricity units and water. This was part of its campaign of creating a better life for all. The economic growth and development in the country since 1994 has also increased the demand for electricity. I think it's important for the previous speaker to take that into consideration. The country has an electricity supply shortfall due to growth in demand and not timelessly increasing generation capacity. The SONA 2020 addressed this matter of increasing the supply of electricity through increasing generating electricity through renewable energy projects. Accordingly, regulatory measures for the development of this project have been promulgated. The expansion of green energy also created opportunities for industrialization and job creation. The economic thinking of that sort come from the blue, from the black, green, and gold economic book of the ANC, not from some unutilized and untested blue book. Based on our energy demands, South Africa has traditionally had multiple energy carriers such as renewable, coal, hydroelectricity, and nuclear. These multiple energy carriers also contribute to security of supply. The largest supply of cheap electricity in South Africa has historically occurred through coal generation, and this has served as the backbone of the development of mining, agriculture, and industry. However, with the high global level of carbon emissions and climate change, the country has international commitments to reduce its carbon footprint. The ANC government has declared that this will occur through a just transition. The rationale for just transition is to ensure that the country is able to effectively supply its electricity demand to ensure economic growth and development as well as ensure... Where is the time packet? Moreover, the government must address energy poverty if the majority of the people are able to participate in the fourth industrial revolution. The country is an energy mix that is contained in the integrated resource plan and government seek to expand all energy sources to ensure that the country's electricity demand is met enable the implementation of the economic 
reconstruction and recovery plan, which includes beneficiation, localization, and industrialization. This is aimed at job creation and the reduction of a triple challenge of poverty, inequality, and unemployment. In the case of coal generation, it is imperative that government continue pursuing clean coal technologies and carbon capture and storage with other countries such as China, Germany, etc., among others. Nuclear energy generates cheap electricity without the emission associated with coal-fired plants. Natural gas is another clean source of energy, and the recent finds along the coast of the country and in neighborhood countries is an energy source which needs to be utilized to power the economies of the region and create industrial opportunities for, and for beneficiation. It is also pleasing to know that the president in SONA 2022 highlighted the development of the KZN Water Project, which included a hydroelectric plant, which is clean source of energy, which will provide cheap electricity. Expansion also includes growing the renewable energy industry to supply electricity. However, the renewable sector has well-known limitation, which has not yet overcome, namely power storage capacity, power generation, and lack of economy of scale. Experts have already estimated that only 30% of the country's overall electricity demand can be supplied through renewable energy. This means that while clean energy is the future, it will not be fully supplied through renewable energy as the Honorable Milam is obsessed with in his recent article. The cost of electricity in South Africa is regulated through transparent formula and is determined through an arm's length process by NASA. Therefore, the cost is not determined by the government and increases are based on input costs, assets, and, and revenue requirements. The process is very rigorous, as ESCOM certainly up, recently applied for a tariff increase of nearly 20%, which NASA declined and reduced it to 9,6%, 61%, based on its formula and calculation. Therefore, NASA's approved tariff increase balance the interests of all stakeholders, namely government, ESCOM, business, and ordinary poor residential communities. NASA's guidelines also determine municipal tariffs to improve the current distribution model as all municipalities apply for tariff approval. This is an area of concern as the level of profit which some municipalities make from electricity and water is a grave cause of concern, especially for the poor and the working class. This also negatively impacts on the middle strata as it erodes disposable income and reduces savings. It is very concerning that in some parts of the country, such as the Western Cape, the cost of electricity and water to the people is extremely high. In addition to the high electricity tariff, there is a supply surcharge such a, such a and connection fee, which is paid every single month as if there is monthly connection. Therefore, the blue book is based on dubious market economics if this is the practice. Electricity and water is for the common good and not something where municipalities should be seeking super profit as it is the case in the city of Cape Town. This causes structural inflation in the economy and discouraging investment in the economy as basic input costs are high. 
take a real-life example of a renewable energy project in the Western Cape, such as Darling Wind Farm, which was a project located in Sierra. It supplied electricity to the city of Cape Town at 48 cents a kiloliter, while at the time, the retail cost of prepaid electricity was 129 cents per kiloliter, which is criminal. This indicates a profit margin of over 200%. The break-even cost for production by the Darling Wind was 68 cents a kiloliter. And when the company attempted to negotiate with the city of Cape Town led by a DA to pay the break-even cost, the city refused even though it would have still made a 100% profit. This real, this real life example forced one of the earliest renewal projects, in fact, forced that particular company to be liquidated due to the intransigence of the city of Cape Town. Those who stay in the glasshouse must not start violence of throwing stones. In fact, speaker, it is important that an audit be conducted on the level of profit which municipalities make from electricity and water as this certainly requires regulation to prevent high electricity because the air in the Western Cape, especially in the city of Cape Town, is still charging people those charges when there was a drought despite massive rains that are taking place on a daily basis. People are still paying triple Services in the Western Cape are supplied to selective parts of the province, not the majority. Increasing cost is the only way the city of Cape Town engages in selective supply in order to undermine and press down the poor because they are obsessed with inequalities. The city of Cape Town only works on high costs. That's how they continuously create inequalities, create, I mean, bringing back apartheid system. This increases in cost translates into high tariffs and in turn erodes disposable income and places hardship on the working class and the poor as well as middle strata in the city. This neo-apartheid is not a mistake as it designed to increase poverty, inequality and unemployment. In conclusion, Chair, as I'm sitting here in my area, we don't know when dustbins were taken by the city of Cape Town. While people here are paying almost triple, 1,200 those people are still suffering the poor services of the DA government. Thank you, Thank Honorable you. Member. Thank you. And now I recognize Honorable MJ Cuthbert, DA. Thank you very much, Honourable House Chair. Thankfully, you put an end to that. Uh, Honourable House Chairperson, the decision by NERSA to hike electricity tariffs by 9.61%, coupled with a petrol price increase of 1 rand 46 per litre and diesel price increase of 1 rand 48 per litre, is a punch to the gut which South Africans can ill afford. Recently, Solga, as reported in the Citizen newspaper, has said that electricity prices have increased by an astronomical 307% since 2009. If the fact that more than one in three South Africans found themselves unemployed wasn't bad enough, those who are fortunate enough to have a job have seen their income eroded by 5.8% since December 2019, according to BankServe Africa's take-home pay index. 
according to the latest household affordability index by the Maritzburg Economic Justice and Dignity Group, year-on-year basket prices have increased by 8.9%, outstripping headline inflation. The cost of the average household food basket increased by 354.52 from 4,001.17 in February 2021 to 4,355.70 in February 2022. The moral of the story is, each time you raise input costs, businesses pass this cost on to the consumer and South Africans become poorer. There is little doubt that a large proportion of the input costs passed on to consumers are as a result of the incessant energy price hikes meted out to them year after year. Instead of focusing on bringing more generating capacity onto the grid, introducing competition into the energy market and investing in alternative sources of energy, government has sat on its hands. All the while, both businesses and consumers have been forced to purchase their electricity through the state-owned monolith ESCOM. That is, of course, contingent on its ability to actually deliver on its commitment to supply you with electricity. As we know, Honourable Chairperson, it's been more a case of lights out than lights on since 2007. Despite the limited reprieve offered by government in allowing for 100 megawatts of self-generation during 2021 and the symbolic movement towards splitting up ESCOM into three separate entities, energy reform has never been a priority for this government. That's where the DA enters the ring, Honourable Chairperson, having recently adopted our revitalised energy policy at a sitting of our Federal Council this past week. We can criticise the government until we are blue in the face, but if we fail to table alternatives, then we are not serious about the business of government. Some of the key interventions we aim to implement when we form part of the governing coalition are realising a just energy transition by investing in the reskilling and retraining of workers for the green economy, incorporating renewable energy into the market at a faster pace by removing restrictive caps on the uptake of renewable energy, containing energy prices and expanding capacity by removing ESCOM from the electricity generation business and creating a more competitive and diversified energy market, improving energy efficiency by using evidence-based interventions such as time-of-use tariffs, load-shifting, solar geysers, and mixed forms of generation setting a more ambitious emissions reduction target that would more closely align with the Paris Climate Agreement. And finally, allowing municipalities to generate, consume and sell their own electricity. Honourable Chairpers, the fact is South Africans have been left punch drunk by price hikes over the last few years. And only the DA has a tangible path forward towards realising an energy secure future. I thank you. Thank you. Um, EFF, Honourable P. Madogwe, over to you. Unmute yourself, Honourable Member. Um, thank you very much, House Chairperson. In the not-too-distant past, South Africa was one African country that was repeatedly projected to be a world-class participant with similar standards to developed countries. However, our beloved country has sunk into chaos and darkness, both figuratively and literally, during the last decade or so. With each passing year, it is marked by all of the traits that characterize underdeveloped countries, growing unemployment, exponential job losses, high crime rates, decreasing education standards, absurd minimum wages, and unrepentantly corrupt leadership, and so on. As expected, our government's recent SONA and budget speech show no hope of restoring the economy or creating jobs. 
as our government has dismally failed to produce plans for economic recovery or fiscal sustainability, is hell-bent on auctioning off our SOEs and is tying us and future generations to paying debts rather than developing our country by raking in debt from the IMF, the World Bank, and other global loan sharks. The average South African household is taking in less money after numerous job loss. The cost of living, especially for basic necessities such as electricity, fuel, and other forms of energy generation has become unbearable. The recent increases in electricity and fuel prices are a cruel addition to, the pure, to poor people's agony. Low-income households can barely make it as it is. Young people are sinking into depression. Small businesses are still grappling with the consequences of COVID-19 and the consequent increase in food prices, transport prices, and further limited access to basic goods and services does not make things easier. The privatization of ESCOM through the introduction of IPPs instead of building internal capacity as projected has not had any impact on on electricity generation and access for disadvantaged households. Instead, it has assured profit maximization and that access to electricity is limited to the wealthy as a result of these price hikes. The EFF has long warned against giving a massive and critical duty like guaranteeing a reliable and inexpensive electricity supply to a clueless trader whose entire strategy has has revolved around sucking ESCOM dry and then selling it off for next to nothing. Government must implement an elaborate energy strategy based on a broad energy mix that balances the use of fossil fuels and uh, renewable energy source, resources. Proceed, Honourable Member. You have mute yourself again. Uh, apologies about that, uh, House Chairperson. I'll just request again. Government must implement an elaborate energy strategy based on a broad energy mix that balances the use of fossil fuels and renewable energy resources while taking climate change and the country's developmental needs into account. South Africa must not allow itself to be bullied by Western nations which emit the most carbon and whose development pathways was on the backbone of fossil fuels. The line between environmental imperialism and environmental protection is razor thin. And the worst newly discovered environmental consciousness of convenience must not dictate how South Africa should manage its energy generation. Communities, on the other hand, must not be bullied into surrendering their homes and livelihoods. The concerns raised by communities about foreign fuel firms such as Shell conducting seismic surveys on our coast are reasonable and should be taken into account rather than the arrogant dismissal that has dominated the discourse. The government's failure to deregulate the fuel price saying that South Africa is not market ready for deregulation has resulted in repeated and significant fuel price spikes. The petroleum industry is highly monopolized with little to no support for emerging local and local and black owned businesses. And the government has failed miserably to level the playing field between wholesalers. Notwithstanding some of the international variables beyond our control that influence the basic fuel price, government has been unable to account for the highly unjustifiable 15% freight premium or its failure to engage freight companies on this ridiculous amount. If if the freight premium was introduced at a time when the Southern African coast was considered dangerous and plagued by Paris, and that is no longer the case, why is our government allowed for the extortion of South Africans for so long? The inclusion of rough levies, which have been poorly managed over time in the basic fuel price, makes no sense. As a result, all local factors that affect the basic fuel price should be reviewed and 
a more equitable and rational pricing model should be implemented. There is no justification for such frequent fuel spikes since inlet countries such as Lesotho and Botswana, which buy fuel from us, can sell cheaper fuel than us. The EFF has long warned against the dangerous concoction of the private sector's exploitative nature and a government that has relinquished its basic responsibilities of service delivery and policymaking to the private sector. We should all be concerned about this year's SONA's overpraise of the private sector and the dangerous decisions that followed, including these price hikes. Having said that, we applaud the DMRA's commitment to safeguard Petro SA from private sector vultures yearning for its demise. And we hope that a similar amount of effort will be put towards exploiting challenges faced by refineries and developing existing facilities into a South African mega refinery through collaboration by relevant departments. Such measurements should result in lower energy generation costs and thus ensure fairer and more regulated prices for our people, particularly those from low-income communities who should always be at the center of all government initiatives. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize Honorable S.S. Zondo from the IFPEC's maiden speech. Over to you, Honorable Zondo. Honorable Zondo, unmute yourself. Okay. Honorable Speaker, South Africa in its current state. Honorable House Chair. Oh, Honorable House Chair, thank you. South Africa in its current state has one of the worst energy policy and strategy in the world. Our energy needs as a country are met with inconsistency, access and poor quality and harmful impact to our citizens. However, the lack of attention paid to the energy crisis in South Africa has, a, has marked an impact on all citizens of this country, especially the poor. In late February 2022, NASA awarded the ESCOM the right to increase electricity rates by 9.61% after it had initially requested almost double that. Already our people are struggling to pay current electricity rates. And for what? We regularly low shading, so it cannot be for the reliability of the system. The high rate of increase also cannot be justified by ESCOM ability to provide universal access, as many South Africans still cannot access electricity in their place of residence. The truth of the matter is that our policies on energy are at least 10 years behind the rest of the world. Therefore, we are observing illegal electricity connection in townships and in other informal residents. As there are no alternative and electricity is unaffordable. Ironically, we are, we are meant to be progressing, progressing at a fast rate to adjust energy transition, where we start giving local communities affordable access stakeholdership and sustainable power so that they can may develop their communities. In this essence, His Excellency, our President Emeritus Prince Mjip Chelesi, will ring true in my ears when he voices open court concern with political will and the ability of the ruling party to do everything that the President has committed to do in his state of national address, trust court. In, the, in our current situation, electricity is a real obstacle to employment in South Africa. With the ever-escalating 
tariffs and persistent slow shaking, small businesses cannot afford to keep their doors open. Small businesses require constant turnover in order to survive and pay employees. ESCOM must be held directly accountable for its contribution to the half million job shelf last year. The absolute high cost of energy has devastating effect on addressing the youth unemployment in South Africa. Distracting youth to find it increasingly difficult to find jobs in an already declining economy, yet the energy demand remain remains valid, albeit unaffordable. Added to, added to this are the numerous fuel, fuel price increase, the most recent attributed to an inhumane Russian invention of Ukraine, further preventing the youth to go out and actively set jobs. The reality of the expense when, when taking a taxi or any other type of unreliable public transport provide, provides a life or death choice of where you set an unemployment or you let your family stay. The high cost of electricity tariff also means that staying at home and doing the desk top work is now a last. The increase in the overall energy, electricity and fuel cost will further slow down our economy and entrench the ongoing job losses we have become used to. This will but happen Zonda, I'm sorry, your time is up. Transport sector less inclined traveling local and supporting local businesses. If we don't okay, address this, thank you, this thank you very much, energy. honorable member. Your time is up. Thank you. In thank future, you. you learn to time yourself. Thank you very much. Now, I recognize honorable W.J. Boshoff from IFF Plus. Over to you, honorable Boshoff. Oh, what I said that economic activity is equivalent to the use of energy. It is not money that makes the world go round, but energy. Therefore, use of fossil fuels had been central to the Industrial Revolution. It extended available labor beyond that which humans and draft animals can metabolize. In short, fossil fuels ended slavery and turned animals into pets. As fossil fuels are concentrated and mostly buried, the cost of energy became monetized. Pre-industrial existence was built on evenly distributed energy in the form of food, feed, and firewood, which was free but scarce. It was replaced by concentrated and mostly imported energy, which was costly but abundant. The net effect for industrial societies, as well as those near the sources of energy, was highly beneficial. South Africa was endowed with abundant coal, quite a bit of uranium, a little gas, and no crude oil. Coal is ideal for stationary applications, and we built huge power stations and the national electricity grid. We even turned coal into liquid petroleum, which worked surprisingly well, although we never even approached the self-sufficiency. In fact, if it wasn't for the occurring oil crisis since 1973, with ever-increasing crude oil prices, this project might never have been feasible. The ever-weakening rand contributed to the same result. Energy supply was ensured by refining of imported crude oil, which was done on a scale sufficient for the local economy. The capacity to store a large oil reserve was created. We even entered the select club of nuclear powers in order to become energy self-sufficient. 
1994, the prospect of an internationally acceptable political dispensation held the promise of a great energy and therefore economical future. Cheap, defendable electricity was generated domestically, while an end to sanctions meant that crude oil could be had at market price. Little did one know that Eskom, as well as the RAND, would implode due to bad policy, driving up energy prices. In fact, the RAND fell from around 350 a dollar in 1994 to the current 14.50. Fortunately, technology is not stagnant. While the impact of fossil fuels on the climate became known, the ability to harness sun, wind, uh, and wind energy at affordable prices developed. Concurrently, the develop development of batteries, as well as green hydrogen as storage systems um, for, the, uh, for fluctuating renewable energy. Transition from one energy dispensation to the next, especially a just transition, is easier when the old one is in crisis. In other words, if ESCOM was in excellent shape, and if a strong land could buy lots of crude oil, and if South African refineries did not burn down or were closed, it would have been difficult to justify transition to an alternative still ridden by uncertainties. Currently, South African businesses and, and consumers implement renewables not for the sake of some transition, but for survival. The 25-odd gigawatt of dependable coal-generated electricity left buys time to solve problems of the transition. While being a huge dark cloud, rising energy prices might have a silver lining. In future, international conflicts in very hot or very cold places and fluctuating currencies may have less impact on communities in South Africa. Even an ANC government might Thank not you, be Honor, able to devastate the economy anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now I recognize Honorable N.L.S. Nguangwa, UDM. Over to you, Mr. Honorable Nguangwa. Honorable Nguangwa. Okay. Honorable members, we shall proceed. Honorable ATM. ATM. Okay. Honor we shall proceed, honorable members, to recognize Honorable MJ Cardo. Uh, honorable B and Heron Good. Honorable Good, over to you. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, the rising cost of electricity is certainly stifling economic growth, but I'd like us to focus on the impact on families and social cohesion. Chairperson, we can debate about the quality, the build quality, and the continuing spatial injustice, but the democratic state has built millions of subsidized homes and connected millions of people to the electricity grid and provided millions of people with access to water. These deliverables should have contributed to reducing the level of inequality, but the people living in these homes cannot afford electricity, nor can they afford water. No one should be denied access to these services because they are unaffordable. They are essential to our development as human beings, and they are essential to building blocks if we are to develop a just and inclusive society. If this house is to have an honest debate, we need to dis discuss how to achieve complete transparency in the electricity supply chain, how to reduce the price of bulk supply, and how to put an end to the profit-making by municipalities who are literally throttling consumers. 
Many municipalities are now using, illegally in my view, prepaid electricity meters as a debt collecting tool. I recently met a disabled resident in Mitchell's Plain who hasn't had water for over a year. Her situation mirrors that of many across our country. Her water is disconnected, but she's still charged a fixed pipe levy and, a, and other water charges. The city uses her prepaid electricity payments to collect what it says is an unpaid water account. And when she's able to scrape 10 rand together to buy electricity, she gets 2.6 units. They take 3 rand 10 from her 10 rand as, as, as a repayment fee. So, Chairperson, Honorable Milam and the DA must acknowledge that part of the unaffordability problem is the huge markups on electricity, the profit-making by municipalities. While the woman in Mitchell's Plain battles to survive, the DA's flagship government, Cape Town, collected 8.2 billion rand in electricity revenue in the first half of this financial year, for which it paid 5.4 billion rand. That's a whopping 2.8 billion rand profit in just six months. For the full financial year, the city projects revenue of 15.7 billion rand and bulk purchases of 11.2 billion, with a gross profit of 4.5 billion and a projected net profit of 2.6 billion rand. Imagine if 2.6 billion rand was in the hands of the consumer or the small business, which leads us to the necessity of transparency. Chairperson, we get to interrogate and oppose Eskin's tariffs, uh, tariff increases, but we cannot do the same, or the cannot, we cannot say the same for the NERSA applications by municipalities. When I did a, a PIA application recently for the City of Cape Town's tariff application to NERSA for the current financial year, my request was refused by the city, with the city claiming that it falls within commercial activities. Perhaps the Honorable Milam and the DA can explain why a municipal NERSA application is regarded as confidential and in whose interest this is. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize Honorable uh, NFP. Uh, NFP, Honorable Members, we shall proceed and recognize Honorable MJ Cardo, DA. Honorable Cardo. Honorable Chairperson, the rising cost of fuel and electricity is crippling this country. And as always, it's the poor and unemployed who bear the brunt of surging prices. Petrol has just gone up by 1 rand 46 per litre. Diesel increased by between 1 rand 44 and 1 rand 48 per litre. Illuminating paraffin shot up by 1 rand 21 per litre. Our economy is hamstrung by high energy costs. What does this mean for the beleaguered citizens of our nation? Firstly, more expensive petrol means more expensive food and transport. For those South Africans lucky enough to have a job and earn an income, they will spend more money on getting to the workplace. Their rands and cents will drain away faster. But for the 7.6 million unemployed South Africans actively searching for a job, the price hike will hit them harder. When the price of petrol goes up, taxi fares rise. This makes it much more onerous for work seekers to afford the taxi, which takes them into town in search of a job, and which takes them home at the end of the day. So they abandon all hope. They stop looking for work, and they join the ever-growing pool of 3.8 million discouraged individuals convinced they will never find employment. Meanwhile, higher transport costs ultimately lead to higher food costs, which means that more and more people who are poor and unemployed 
go hungry. Secondly, more expensive paraffin means more expensive fuel for our most vulnerable households. Millions of poor South Africans rely on illuminated paraffin as their primary source of cooking fuel. The costlier it becomes, the more difficult it is for parents to keep themselves and their children warm and fed. Thirdly, more expensive electricity means household budgets get stretched to breaking point. Whereas a fixed RAND value of electricity used to last the whole month, now it's gobbled up within a matter of weeks or even days. Bigger electricity bills mean there's less money for everything else, from bare necessities to small luxuries. Every single line item of household expenditure has to be cut to the bone. Savings are depleted faster. In short, sky-high energy prices are placing an intolerable strain on the most vulnerable South Africans. The government wrings its hands and comes up with excuses. COVID-19 has devastated the economy, driven up inflation, says the ANC. We are facing global headwinds, is another well-worn line. But most of the headwinds started blowing before the pandemic struck. They were whipped up by the ANC's own economic mismanagement, policy incoherence, and incompetence. Two things are true of the ANC. One, it produces a lot of hot air. Two, its talk is cheap. Now, if only there was some way of bringing these two facts into harmony and harnessing their combined potential, then South Africa would have the largest and cheapest energy supply in the world. In the meantime, let's start with the basics. Let's break ESCOM's monopoly and the year-on-year -year electricity increases inflicted on South Africans. And let's review the fuel pricing model, which benefits the state but punishes the most vulnerable. If we can do those two things, we will be helping the poor and unemployed. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Member. Now I recognize Honourable the Deputy Minister of Public Enterprises, the Honourable Pima Saule. Over to you, Honourable Deputy Minister. Honourable DM. Thank you. Unmute yourself, DM. No, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honourable House Chair. My apologies. May I request the Honourable House Chair that I take off the video? I'll just say my network here is not so good. With your Please, permission, you Honourable House Chair. Please, you may. Honourable Thank you very Minister. much. Thank you very much, Honourable House Chair. We are meeting today at the time when the world is faced with the challenge of war between Russia and Ukraine, a war which can end up creating many more economic hardships and a myriad of other crises for the entire globe if things are not managed properly. Honourable House Chair, we must never fear engagements, dialogue and negotiations. It is for this reason that we must continue calling for engagements to resolve even the most difficult of problems facing humanity. The president in his State of the Nation address highlighted plans in place to put ESCOM in a correct path and a proper pedestal by making the assessment of progress since when all these entities experienced a paralysis against the backdrop of a five-year medium-term strategic framework. In February of 2019, the Ministry of Public Enterprises announced 
bold initiatives towards fundamentally restructuring ESCOM and the electricity supply industry, where emphasis was placed on securing a safe, reliable and affordable energy supply industry for the country. The department published a roadmap for ESCOM uh, in the reformed electricity supply industry in October of 2019. This roadmap recognized that South Africa was blessed with an abundance of energy sources which we, with which to drive economic growth, social development to benefit all its people. It also identified the importance of electricity supply security and pricing that is geared towards promoting competitiveness of the South African com- economy and to bolster industrialization. For purposes of this debate, Honorable Auschair, it's important for one to underline the following key outcomes that ought to be achieved in terms of that uh, roadmap. Firstly, transitioning from the existing dependence on fossil fuels to a mix of energy sources as the Integrated Resource Plan of 2019 dictates. Secondly, the restructuring of ESCOM into different subsidiaries, generation, transmission, as well as distribution. Thirdly, an intensive focus on radically improving the current operations and eliminating inefficiencies in generation, and a greater requirement for transparency in the governance of both the ESCOM holdings as well as its subsidiaries. Of course, also having a rigorous approach to cutting wasteful costs, optimizing revenue and resolving the debt battle, as well as the just transition, which should involve all stakeholders. Honorable House Chair, ESCOM plays a critical role in the South African economy through the provision of electricity. It's therefore imperative that its tariffs enable it to fund its operations through the revenues derived from the sales thereof. ESCOM is operating in a regulated environment and their tariffs are determined by the National Energy Regulator, NERSA, through a multi-year price determination methodology. The Electricity Regulation Act requires NERSA to ensure that all licensees including ESCOM, recover the efficient cost of electricity and a fair, and a fair return. Cost-reflective tariffs are a prerequisite to enable ESCOM to provide the economy with reliable electricity at affordable prices. Migration towards cost-reflective tariffs, as envisaged in the electricity pricing policy, has not yet happened. The cost-of-service approach is a common feature of the regulatory pricing frameworks and is employed by NERSA in other sectors, by other regulators within South Africa, and by utility regulators globally. The recent decision approved, the recent NERSA decision to approve a tariff increase of 9.61%, for which I think I need to explain this because a lot has been said around this and some of it factually inaccurate, for which only 3.49% tariff was against ESCOM's application of 14.58% for the year 2022-2023. The other 6.12% increase was for the previously approved under recovery from the regulatory clearing account mechanism. This regulatory clearing account mechanism deals with previous revenue under recovery or over recoveries. The implementation of this revenue recovery account was part of the court order with 2022-2023 revenue requirement. 
So in reality, the approved 3.49%, excluding the regulatory clearing account, is not only less than CPI of 5.9% presently, but also less than the IPP cost increase of 5.85% in 2023. The government appreciates and welcomes the tariffs by NEFSA because they will be balancing customer affordability while supporting ESCOM's sustainability. ESCOM's constrained financial position is having a negative impact on the entity's ability to execute required maintenance on their plants, which results in high unplanned capability loss factor. But in order to cushion the indigent customers and distressed companies, ESCOM is implementing free basic electricity of 50 kilowatt hour, which is subject to be reviewed, as well as a negotiated pricing agreement, uh, respectively, so as to support those indeed uh, who are uh, in serious need. As the ANC, we are a current government that sympathizes with the plight of our people. And we understand that ESCOM is one of the vital tools of their livelihood. ESCOM continues to connect the previously disadvantaged households to the grid through the electrification program funded by the DMRE. For the financial year that ended 2021, a total of 106,669 new connections were completed. This demonstrates the the ANC-led government's commitment to redress and correcting the sins of the past. Contrary to the DA, that makes so much for the energy costs uh, uh, through these tariffs. Just visit them in their, back, in their backyard. The contrary is true as the costs they subject the poor in, that, in, those, in those municipalities that are under their control. In fact, Honorable MacArthur, as well as Honorable Harden, make real in exposing their hypocrisy. A financially sustainable ESCOM is crucial for recovery of South Africa's economy. Further, cost-reflective tariffs are essential for the entity to be able to execute its mandate, which is the provision of reliable operating and affordable electricity. Of course, the operating model is no longer fit for purpose, and thus the turnaround plan to enable the entity to execute its mandate. ESCOM is implementing a turnaround plan which is aimed at increasing at increasing efficiencies within the business. The restructuring of ESCOM is one of the levers of the plan which will improve transparency, agility, and promote competition in the energy sector. In December 2021, ESCOM has established a separate transmission subsidiary. The separation of generation and distribution is anticipated on 31st of December 2022. This we do not at the instance of the DA, because we have determined so in the roadmap as I have outlined. The end state of this restructuring of ESCOM is to have an independent transmission system marketing operator that will be able to buy electricity from all the producers based on the least cost and will increase, and this will increase competition and, and, and decrease the price of electricity. To inc- of course, to improve operational perf- performance, the entity is implementing a nine-point plan focusing on fixing Medopi as well as Kusile defects, fixing full and partial load, fixing full and partial load losses, long-term out- outages. In addition, 
ESCOM is implementing its reliability maintenance recovery program. The president did make uh, mention of uh, the need to procure the 400 megawatts that would be procured to enable the entity to, to create space for its plants to meet the growing demand. This will be filled by renewables and other energy sources such as gas and nuclear. There's a need to invest on energy infrastructure to ensure that the country has adequate supply of energy at an affordable price. Honorable Speaker, as I conclude, the entity is recovering from the phenomenon of state capture and through the implementation of the turnaround plan and the restructuring process, this will go a long way to achieve operational efficacy. The department will be monitoring the recommendations of the Commission on ESCOM and will work with various law enforcement agencies to ensure those who are implicated are brought to justice. It is against the above that ESCOM must be supported in its renewal journey. We are beginning to see green shoots here and there. And when this process is completed, we are sure ESCOM is poised to provide reliable electricity for the economy. I thank you. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Now I recognize Honorable AIC. AIC. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. May I leave my video off, please? Please, you may, Honorable Member. Honorable Chairperson, as we schedule this debate for discussions, the National Energy Regulator of South Africa <coughs> approved a 9.6% tariff increase for ESCOM. We also know that ESCOM, just as we were planning our program for this, received a guarantee of 21.9 million from the Minister of Finance in his budget speech. To make matters worse, we have a super, a super minister of mineral resources and energy who is blocking every effort to diversify our pool of electricity, of electricity generation. It was the same minister who declared in 2015 that, I quote, the crisis at ESCOM was a positive crisis, close quote. It took much convincing for this minister to bring on board embedded electricity. Despite the white paper on energy published in 1998, declaring its commitment to promoting a new model of development and a new paradigm for the development of the energy sector, the fixation on coal by the minister is the real crisis we must confront. Even the central funds prides itself in securing a reliable and affordable diversified energy, securing solutions for South African economy by 2030. Honorable Chairperson, I describe digress. The latest fuel adjustment for March 2022 exposes the ANC's dismissal approach to energy security. Not only the adjustment set to, deep, set to deepen the plight of the poor, they equally will they equally will have a significant impact on basket of goods and services. 
that are used to measure inflation. This adjustment will have an inflatory effect and will also erode consumer purchasing power for household food consumption, leaving many poor South Africans forced to opt for fuel over food items. Changes for March in petrol prices were very high. Honorable Chair, these prices are not a feature of a developmental state. They are not aimed at social justice and just order for the poor of masses. In restructuring the entire regime of energy security, we must start with the minister. The Central Energy Fund and NESA must leave politics behind and focus on their mandate. It cannot be uh, it cannot be business as usual. I thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Now I recognize Honorable Cope. Cope, are you here? Honor we shall proceed, Honorable Members. I recognize Honorable PAC. PAC? Now I recognize Honorable CMP ANC. Over to you, Honorable Piri. Thank you, House Chair Melisoma. Allow me also to request to switch off my video for a better reception. If you give permission, may I do so? And you yes, so Honorable so Member, you may. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, honorable members, fellow South Africans, Honorable House Chair, uh, given this was a day motion, I nearly brought the speech on sexual harassment in the Western Cape Provincial Government uh, by the former chair of the DA in Western Cape. Uh, this is a motion which needed to be brought to the House for the debate in the near future. However, House Chair, allow me uh, to focus on the motion at hand. There's something not only wrong, but profoundly shaming when a motion sponsored by the concern of white minority comes to dominate the nation, the national debate. 25, 28 years after the ushering in the democracy, the underlying implication of this debate is that high electricity tariffs are an aberration in the history of South Africa because the ANC-led government and that the very same government has become a milestone around the efficient energy industry in the country. Ironically, history shows that between 1976 and 1989, ESCOM was involved in large investment in generation capacity expansion that led to large increases in electricity tariffs. Moreover, between 1979 and 1982, the oppressive apartheid regime experienced a growing electricity demand that led to the load shading even when ESCOM was supplying electricity to a selected few to the exclusion of the majority of black people. Therefore, the misreading of experiences in the sponsored debate does not only throw the infamous baby out of the bathwater, but also peddles prejudice that makes understanding ESCOM's strength and weaknesses particularly difficult. House Chair, we are not surprised that the motion for this debate was sponsored by Honorable uh, Milham. Few weeks ago, he published an article arguing that renewable energies are the future of this country, regardless of the fact that renewables does not provide 
a base load energy needed to guarantee uninterrupted electricity supply. House Chair, excuse me for saying this, but uh, Honorable Malham argument is probably the most thoughtless idea in the world. For example, ESCOM Mitem report as of the 30th September 2021 showed that the installed electricity capacity was 46,000 megawatts, excluding the plant and unplanned capability loss factors. And that coal rather than renewables was responsible for the lion's shares of the generation capacity. Moreover, the unit cost of using coal to generate electricity was cheaper relative to renewables. This does not, however, mean that the cost of renewables has not dropped in the past 10 years. That's seen if we were to leave the supply of electricity solely to renewables today, they will not meet the current electricity demand on the one hand, and they would repress rather than enable access to energy justice for the poverty-stricken households on the other hand. This indicates that political economy of energy in South Africa is not something that Honorable Malham and the DA with their technical tool kids that particularly well-equipped to comment on. But I will give them the benefit of the doubt since John Locke once remarked that human beings are roughly equal in their mental capabilities. Uh, House Chair, Honorable Malham and the DA would argue that the market must be free to allow renewables to show their full potential. Contrary to the popular belief, a free market is an illusion. Markets are proposed by rules that determine who can participate and regulations, including price regulations. For example, the Electricity Regulation Act and the Electricity Pricing Policy have been amended by the ANC-led government to allow competitive electricity market to drive affordability through fair competition. Secondly, NARSA's decision to approve, to approve ESCOM's tariffs increases of nine, the increase of 9.6.1% took into account the prevailing socio-economic condition when determining electricity tariffs. For instance, if market forces were left alone to determine price amid the growing electricity demand, price will be higher because producers will be taking advantage of economics of scale in a small market by international standard, but large in sub-Saharan Saharan South African terms, South African, South Saharan African terms. The two examples I've just highlighted indicate that the ANC-led government is neither a demonized nor a dysfunctional institution in terms of the management of affordable access to the electricity. I was breaking away from the DA's ideological clock that pretends to be an objective economic truth is the first step towards understanding the complex energy industry in South Africa. The DA ideological clock that advocates for free market suggests that ESCOM's natural monopoly is not fair. Instead, we should have a free market in the energy industry where different producers compete for customers while the ANC-led government support a competitive market in the energy industry. It, re it rejects the skewed argument that prohibit the exploitation of coal for electricity generation and export-led economic growth in the short term. Coal is one of the biggest contributors to job opportunities and economic growth and free market economics. That the DA has immersed itself in and it cannot assure us in advance that the job losses in coal sector will be compensated by increase in the renewable sector. 
Moreover, the country generates electricity through other energy carriers, which it will not abandon. The DA's distorted ideological talk has serious implications as it will result in the misguided use of South Africans' abundant natural resources. This is the reason why President Ramaphosa emphasized in 2022 SONA the importance of empowering the aging coal power stations to save more jobs and utilize coal as it will put a downward pressure on the high cost of IPPs in the short term. This needs to occur on clean coal technologies and carbon capture. The sulfur dioxide from the flare gas must be captured and the sulfur extracted and monetized for the manufacture of fertilizer and dynamite for mining and therefore provide industrialization opportunities and job creation opportunities rather than pollution. The current technology captures 97% of the sulfur dioxide. Chair, the, no, the motion for debate sponsored by Honorable Malham concentrate more than it is necessary on ESCOM's failure to the neglect of the trial and error nature of the performance, even in the most successful cases. Factors other than operational and financial performance do not account for success in honor in Honorable Malham's worldview. Consider, for the example, the state's essay has revealed that more than 90% of South Africans' households have access to electricity thanks to the Department of Mineral Resource and Energy Integrated National Electrification Program and non-grid connection. ESCOM is responsible for largest component this, of, of these connections. And the ANC-led con- government continue to provide targeted subsidies of 50 kilowatts per hour electricity per household per month for the vulnerable household to narrow the gap between fiscal access and affordable access to the electric to electricity without targeted subsidies the increased electricity price above the inflation rate over the past decade will increase poverty levels and energy po- uh, poverty to the level of avoidance in the daily lives of our citizens aside from targeted subsidies there are mechanisms put it in place to minimize the burden of electricity price. For instance, ESCOM and IPPs pay taxes that are used by ANC-led government in areas of public expenditure with pro-poor incidents like social grants. Social grants in turn offset the burden of high electricity prices on the poor. Of course, the DA will argue that social grants are pertinent. However, it is natural that what is a low wage in the eyes of a DA is a handsome wage in the eyes of a black poor people due to the historical injustice of the past. For yet another example, municipalities are allowed to procure electricity directly. Thank you, Honorable I- Member. Thank you very much, Honorable Member. That will bring us to, I recognize Honorable uh, SKY Kachalia, DA. Over to you, Honorable Kachalia. Electricity used to be cheap, but over some 13 years, electricity prices rose by 460%. Last year, the electricity price went up by 15% with another hike of 10% this year. Now let's do what economists do and hold everything constant. When you do this, you see that a 1% increase in electricity prices causes economic growth to drop by 0.036%. 
and know that the economy is expected to grow by 1.9% this year. Even the ANC should be able to understand the importance of finding a balance between low supply and high demand, and that the only solution is to allow more players into the industry rather than increasing prices. And unless you thick as mints, you will realize that the price controls should never be used as to rule demand, because even if managing price controls, managing price causes a decrease in usage, the decrease in electricity demand results in a decrease in, in economic activity. Honorable Aaron and Honorable Minister, it's time to remove price controls and implement the windfall profits tax on producers to capture a portion of any electricity price increases above a benchmark and return the proceeds to consumers through tax reductions that moderate the impact on the poor, small businesses and other consumers. That's how you do it. Electricity must be affordable and available. It is neither. And the only credible solution is to fix the baseload issues at ESCOM and open up the playing field to competitors. And while the government appears to be finally moving in this direction, albeit at a snail's pace, the model has to change. Honorable Piri, the crisis is now deep into the second decade. Load shedding hovers like a dark ANC cloud, and there's, and there's unlikely to be any reprieve from steeply rising tariffs. Surely it's time for sense to prevail and institute a commission of inquiry that the, DK, that the DAS called for, as was done in 1983, resulting in major organizational and institutional changes. It's time again, no, isn't it, Honorable Piri, instead of regurgitating false techno babble. The Honorable Makaka says that the shortage in supply is due to increased demand. No, 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 no. It's Honorable Makaka. And you must breathe, Makaka. Spell it right. Can I please get this time back? The Honorable Makaka says that the shortage in supply is due to the increased demand. He should know better. He should know better. His government has economy and therefore demand. And the shortage, as we all know, is due to successive ANC governments' strangulation of the economy and energy sector with the dual hands of mismanagement and theft. Let's get real here. Thank you, honorable member. Honorable members, that concludes the debate and the business of this uh, virtual manipulatory session. The manipulatory session will now rise. Yeah. 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 Yeah.